Hey, everybody, and welcome to A Friend and Me, the podcast about friendship, culture, and the kingdom of God, all through the lens of Pixar. This is a great episode. I was overjoyed to talk with my friend and pastor, Bobby Warrenberg. So you'll get to hear from Pastor Bobby and myself in just a second as we talk about Toy Story 4. It's kind of an interesting episode uh, because there's some parts about Toy Story 4 that I find really difficult and I don't necessarily love. So you'll see it was an interesting conversation. Before I read the summary of Toy Story 4, I want to let you know that coming up, hopefully as a Christmas gift to you all, my faithful listeners, I'm going to do an episode where you can submit questions and I will answer them. So you can ask anything about friendship, culture, the kingdom of God, or Pixar, um, and I would be happy to answer them. So that'll be coming up hopefully by the end of the year. So if you want to send me any questions, you can email me at portdrez at gmail.com. That's P-O-R-T-D-R-E-S at gmail.com. And feel free to send me any questions that you would like me to answer on the air. I will also take questions on my Instagram. If you follow me on Instagram at Porter Sprig, you can submit questions there or on Patreon. If you are a Patreon subscriber, you can also submit questions there. I'll probably have a surprise guest for that episode, still finalizing who that will be, but I look forward to answering your questions and engaging more with my audience. And just to advertise a little bit for that show, I am actually going to answer a fan submitted question at the end of this episode. You may remember Caroline, who was on the Bugs Life episode, her cousin Miriam sent in a question that I will answer at the end of this show after my conversation with Bobby. So you won't want to miss that. Thanks, Miriam, for sending in that question. And tune in for that answer, but also tune in to our Q&A episode and submit a question while you're at it. Now here's the summary of Toy Story 4. Woody, Buzz Lightyear, and the rest of the gang embark on a road trip with Bonnie and a new toy named Forky. The adventurous journey turns into an unexpected reunion, as Woody's slight detour leads him to his long-lost friend, Bo Peep. As Woody and Bo discuss the old days, they soon start to realize that they're worlds apart when it comes to what they want from life as a toy. There you have it. That is a summary of Toy Story 4. I hope you enjoyed this conversation between myself and Bobby. Hello and welcome to A Friend in Me, the podcast all about friendship, culture, and the kingdom of God through the lens of Pixar. I'm here today with a good friend and my pastor, Pastor Bobby. How are you doing, Bobby? Doing great. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for for joining me to talk about Toy Story 4. Now, Bobby, you thought you had seen Toy Story 4 before, but... You hadn't, is that right? Or... That's right. I've always been a big Toy Story fan, so I just assumed that I'd seen all of them. Yeah. And when I started watching the film, I realized I hadn't seen this one. Yeah. So somehow I missed it. Well, there you go. As fans of Toy Story, we love Woody, we love Buzz, and then some of the choices in this movie we'll talk about, it 
can it's different than the first three. So there'll be things yeah. to explore about. Uh, maybe is it in line with the first three that we love, or did they kind of go in a different direction? But yeah, yeah. So Bobby, first I'd love to just talk about how we became friends, uh, and it'll be interesting. I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but I I can start because I don't know if you know this, but I think the first time I visited North Shore Community Baptist Church as an adult, you were being installed or being newly installed. And I was a freshman at Gordon and my parents took me there because they used to go there when I was a baby. Uh-huh. Uh, but so they wanted me to go to the church that they went to and they are friends with Mark and Sybil Coleman. But I didn't want to go to the same church that my parents went to. I wanted to pave <laughs> my own path. So I saw you in one of your first Sundays there, but then I didn't attend the church after that because I yeah was paving my own way, uh, which maybe is in line with this film. But <laughs> but then in uh, my junior year, I was kind of restless at the church I was at, feeling like I wanted sermons that preach the gospel more directly. So I decided, oh, I'm going to try a different church. And then the first church I attended on my new search felt like the gospel was communicated mm. very clearly and in a way that uh, I could see being transformative for me. And that was you preaching. And so I ended up at the church and love to hear from you what your perceptions were. When yeah. when did you first, when did I first come onto your radar as a friend? And, and then, yeah. Yeah, I kind of feel like our friendship really went to a different level at the pandemic, actually. So one of the hard parts of, of the pandemic, uh, being a pastor, was you're preaching and you're teaching to this camera. And um, it's a little, it felt a little bit like DoorDash. Like you prepare this meal, you put a lot of time and effort to it, and you send it out and you have no idea, wasn't any good, did yeah. anybody enjoy it? You just really feel detached from the people that you're trying to, to shepherd and pastor. And so I sent an email out to the church of this kind of plea saying, I would just love to be around people. If you want to go on walks with me, I'd love to take a walk with you. And um, you were one of the people that reached out for that. And I feel like that uh, was great because that was just a chance to go on walks together around Beverly Farms. We had a little loop that we do yeah, and just talk and catch up and share life. And that was just... Yeah, those walks that I got to do with you and and others as well was just a real, yeah, a real uh, balm for my soul during a, um, a challenging time. So, well, thanks, Bobby. Yeah, it was it was a balm for me as well, and it's cool because some of the things that God has worked in my life are about communicating the gospel and using my communication gifts mm. to share God's word, and I feel like I've learned a lot from your preaching, but also just our conversations, the way that you have discipled me and encouraged me in different struggles in my life and how you're able to creatively communicate the gospel, both from the pulpit, but also when meeting with someone and doing pastoral counseling. So I think Mm. it's definitely informed my heart to creatively communicate the gospel, having you as my pastor and friend and very uh, grateful yeah. for that. So thanks, Porter. And I also am a recovering people pleaser, and you have <laughs> yeah, talked to me about common. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Yes. So we've both uh, both on that journey. Mm. So and ministry as a people pleaser pleaser can be challenging, and especially no, during the sure. pandemic. I'm assuming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. No. And again, I I think that you know whether it's on our walks or just in conversations we've had, just this commitment not only to knowing what the gospel is and keeping the gospel clear 
but also that ability to make the gospel clear to other people, right? And how, how does this intersect with us yeah. and with our lives and with our hearts and whether it's people pleasing or whatever it is we're dealing with, anxiety, procrastination, <laughs> yeah. whatever, whatever yeah. it happens to be, the gospel is really meant to go into that territory for us. So, yeah. Yeah. And one thing I really appreciate and we have in common as well is talking about films and or stories and how they connect to the gospel. And you were saying kind of trying to communicate to people where they are, the concerns they have and movies do that. And mm. I appreciate when you pull out some great references in your sermon, some great uh, film mm. references that my friend. My friend Sam Solberg, he was on the Toy Story 2 episode. We always laugh when you when you bring in Shrek. <laughs> you like you reference yeah, Shrek a, a yeah. good amount of times, and it always makes us chuckle. Like, oh, here comes Shrek! I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think in particular the animated films. It, it seems like that genre is really seeking to identify things in the human condition, right? These kind of universal longings and desires and fears and hopes, and you know, it's creating this film that young people really identify with, but older people as well. And I think it, it comes through tapping into that kind of shared space of, wow, this is this is what can be hard in life, or this is what we all desire. And so, so often, uh, whether it's Pixar or Disney or whatever, it, it's a good expression of how people are seeking to navigate life, mm-hmm. right? And, and navigating that that, uh, yeah, that sense in us that longs for something more. Um, so I, I find that, yeah, those films in particular are really insightful. Yeah, absolutely. And in my life, listeners of the podcast know, I do think the Toy Story franchise is an incredible carrier of messaging and, and truth. And yeah. I think yeah. I've, I've taught multiple classes. I actually got to ta- teach a Sunday school class at church about Toy Story 1, which was a cool opportunity. But now we come to Toy Story 4, which uh, came mm. out in... 2019, I believe. So the original Toy Story came out in 1995. So long gap uh, between the the first Toy Story and this one. And you can see that obviously in the animation. The animation now is incredible. It's it's really cool to see how far they've come. Uh, But you can also see it in the storyline. And some of the beauty of what I've said about belonging to Andy and how that connects to our belonging to God. Now watching this film... I have some questions. So, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. let's dig into Toy Story 4. But before we get into kind of the deeper uh, parts of it, mm. what stood out to you about kind of the craft of the film? It could be mm. the animation yeah. or yeah, the yeah. humor or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the the usual kind of cutting edge with the animation. It's always incredible. And and uh, I can't, what was the year that this last one was produced? Uh, uh, Toy Story 4? 2019. 2019. Yeah, yeah. So even though that's, a few years in the past, even then, I mean, just still incredible. And, and they've always been so good at just the, uh, the artistry, um, and the humor, like, you know, that I, I love the, uh, I always love the little, uh, T-Rex. Yeah. Um, and, uh, when he's, when he says, I'm being attacked by the panic, <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, that's so good. Yeah. So there's always like just the, um, the, the humor or kind of even, ways of kind of bringing in the nostalgia of these toys that you recognize and that kind of thing. So that was there. And it's always really good storytelling. I, I, I think maybe this wasn't my, uh, my favorite when it came to the storytelling of, of the series, but, but still, 
and the characters are just so relatable. <clears throat> you know, you really, uh, you really grow to love each of them. Um, even the kind of scary doll face guys in the end become yeah. somehow endearing. It yeah. is super creepy, but it just seems to be a commitment to, to, yeah, to each of the characters learning to appreciate who they are in spite of kind of their some of their flaws and obnoxious aspects. So yeah, yeah, I like that aspect. Who would as you well. say was your favorite character in this one? Um, probably Woody. Yeah. I mean, it seemed to be a, a lot about about Woody. It was. It was good to watch Buzz uh, kind of go with the kind of inner voice uh, exploration that he did. Yeah. That was quite interesting. But um, yeah, I, I thought this seemed character? to be really a, a lot a about Woody. Of the new ones, like the kind of new side characters? Yeah. Like Duke uh, or <laughs> he That guy was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. He was such a bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was kind of yeah. It was good to see him kind of come into his own and uh, kind of overcome the haunting voices from the past. Of you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're never gonna do it. You're never gonna measure up. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he kind of crushed it on that final, that final jump. But uh, yeah, he was. I, I was kind of sympathetic for him. But yeah, no, I think for me it was really just actually these characters that you've really grown to know over the course of the series and just kind of watching them mature and this this particular one really seemed to be as they're at least depicting it the kind of woody coming into his full maturity so i found that really interesting to kind of watch that journey yeah yeah for myself i would say some of the new characters i really love are ducky and bunny the two uh yeah those guys are funny characters yeah. uh played by key and peel uh, oh is that Jordan key and peel yeah yeah oh, okay so yeah. They had fun. Oh, I, I yeah. think half the lines were improv. I think. Yeah. <laughs> they just let them run. But my and my favorite new sequence would probably be, at least humor wise, when they do the plush rush or when they attack the old lady, and then it yes. turns out it yeah, was yeah. just their imagination. Yeah. But I do think that is kind of an absurd sort of humor that is rarer in a Pixar film to kind of go that full level of absurdity. But it makes sense with Key and Peele, and I think it was really funny, and. Yeah, so they attack the old lady, and then Buzz says, no, that's not going to work. And they say, okay, well, what about this plan? And then it shows her like closing up shop and driving home and taking <laughs> yeah. a bath and getting yeah. into bed. And then they uh, show up as she's sleeping and terrorize her. So and they I love really how, like, committed to that bit. Totally. Yeah. And how, at the end of the day, the key was just dropped off right in front yeah, of it. So exactly. <laughs> after all that, right? They've had I all these elaborate kind of plans, and then yeah. it's just there. Yeah. yeah. I do think some of the new characters are fun. And the humor is still there for me. I also think Forky is a pretty funny character. Yeah, he's funny. Um, and also the fact that it ends, the final credit scene is with that knife that Bonnie made. And she says, how am I alive? And Forky says, I don't know. It's yeah, just kind of... I think there's actually a lot to that final yeah. segment. Maybe we, we should maybe come back to that because that, that, ha- that was the final word. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Uh, so I'm Which glad is, I kind of stuck around for those fight. This yeah, the scenes good. after yeah. the credits. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, because here's this film, this whole film series about toys that somehow have life, and and then in the last one, there's a question asked: How am I alive? And yeah, that is interesting. Ends with a question. Yeah. 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 Or basically, yeah. yeah, kind of an agnosticism. Um, yeah. But it's kind of an abs- it, It's getting into like existential humor that kids probably wouldn't get but adults would laugh at like this is like a big existential question that we can chuckle about but also yeah it does bring up 
legitimate questions as well. But I'll say this in terms of the film itself, I was disappointed with Buzz because Buzz is, I think, such a great character and mm -hmm. specifically, well, no, I'd say all of the first three, but one and two, Toy Story one and two, Buzz has incredible character arcs. And in this one, he kind of feels reduced more to a dumb sidekick or a dumb, he's he's a little dumber than in two and three. Now, he's always been less smart or a kind of more of a goofball. intelligent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's always <laughs> been more goofy. Yeah. But in Toy Story 2, he has such incredible character and and thought, and he's driven by actual conviction. And so then in Toy Story 4, right. for him to be driven by this kind of random button that he presses feels odd. I know that a lot of times the voice is telling him an actual thing that helps him do his mission. Like, right. But, but the irony being he keeps pushing the button as well. So like a yeah. voice comes, he's like, bad idea, push it again, bad idea. But, and I, and again, we can maybe explore this further, but it, it's really interesting, like listening to the inner voice. Well, there's quite a lot of them and they're saying quite different things. So yeah. kind of which, which one do you listen to? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would definitely agree that unlike the previous films, you could have taken Buzz out of this fourth film, and yeah. I don't know that it would have made a huge impact, which is kind of sad because he's it always is. been yeah. such a central. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, that that part does take away from some of, I think the first three are just so airtight in terms of Woody and Buzz's relationship with each other, their relationship to Andy, and this one does feel like a little bit. They didn't have as much direction for for Buzz. Um, yeah, but yeah, it, and we'll we'll talk about this more too. But I just think in general, I see a lot of incongruence between this one and the the messaging and heart of the first three. So, just a question on that was yeah. was this written by someone different, directed by someone different? Is it like because it did seem pretty incongruous, really, or just yeah, like someone else grabbed the pen for this final one, or I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's not true. But well, so it was written or directed by this guy named Josh Cooley. I think it was his first feature film that he got to direct. I think he had directed some shorts, okay. but I think it was his first feature film, and he's somebody who grew up with it. Okay, um, but he also might be someone who. It, it feels like they wanted Woody to grow up. Mm -hmm. Like the first three yeah. films are about what does it mean when Andy is growing up? Yeah. And then the fourth one is like, what will it look like for Woody to grow up and mature? Right. And it, but it's more toy centered. But the part of the problem is like the whole message of the first three is that the purpose and fulfillment of being a toy is not about the toy. It's about the kid. And so right. then in this fourth one, it seems more about the toy and 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 the question is, did we want that? Do we? Did any of us really care to think? Oh, I really wish Woody and Bo Peep had ended up together. Yeah, like no one was thinking that. No, yeah, no one was kind of the, the heart demanding that yeah, that happened. Exactly. One day. So right, totally, I do think Toy yeah. Story three concludes Andy's arc, and you could say Toy Story four concludes Woody's arc. It just feels like what we're supposed to celebrate is Woody changing in a meaningful way. Actually, might be him changing in it, not. Great way, or in a new, it's an ambiguous way how he changes. Yeah. But, but I do, yeah, it's a new director. The first two were definitely the same creative team. I do think the third one was a new guy who hadn't been involved in the first two, but okay. Lee, Lee Unkrich also directed, he directed Toy Story 3 and Coco, which are both excellent. So okay. I think he yeah. is just, in my mind, a better storyteller or better writer, maybe, than Josh Cooley, mm. who, yeah, but, but, 
it does seem like they were updating the messaging of Toy Story 4 in a more self-fulfillment type of direction. Um, yeah, that's so yeah. so uh, Woody's lost. Yeah. There's a point where it's like, actually, you're the one, Woody, who's lost, right? Yeah. And so, okay, what, what's it going to be like for Woody to be found was more of the story than, yeah. But it seems yeah. like at the end, Embrace being lost is part of, part of, being lost is okay. Yeah. It's okay to be, yeah. because you can be found within yourself. You don't need to be found by another. Right. Anyway, which we're already jumping into the cultural <laughs> yeah, theological. Totally. But, yeah. but yeah, anyway, interesting. Yeah. And as a fan of the franchise, I definitely have mixed feelings. So um, it sounds like you do too. But yeah, I got mixed <laughs> so Let's jump into the cultural messaging of the film, which we've already kind of been talking about. But what did you see as some of the cultural implications of the film or things you like to explore? In? Yeah, so I, I saw one of the major themes was this. Again, this is what's so great about Pixar is the ability to identify these universal human longings. And as I watched the film, to me, one of the ones that was almost front and center was this desire to be truly known, truly seen. So Gabby, for example, Gabby Gabby. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to call her Gabby. Her deep longing is to be truly seen and yet still loved. So that moment in the film where what was the the granddaughter of the um, owner of the toy or of the um, antique store? Harmony. She, yeah. Harmony. Harmony takes a deep look at Gabby, right? So they like in a sense, like we feel like Gabby in that moment, right? Harmony, the one that we've always wanted to be loved by, is holding us and seeing us, yeah, and evaluating us and making a decision about us. And so it's this moment. Judgment day. Yeah, judgment. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. this moment of like being truly seen. And yet she's thrown back in the pile. Crushing. So I think that universal human longing to actually be seen and yet still loved. So to be loved without actually being seen is shallow. Because it's like you say you love me. You say you care for me. You say you're here for me. You don't really know me. Yeah. You know, you haven't, you haven't like taken the time to really observe, right? And really get to know me. So that feels shallow. But to be truly seen and known and quote evaluated and then not loved is like our worst nightmare. Mm -hmm. But if we could ever be truly seen and yet still loved, like that would be heaven. And it seems like that's, what Gabby's looking for, this um, this love that knows us and it's not going to go anywhere. So as I think about, and I know we're going to get to the theological implications, I, I think that was a relationship where even though you continue to know the person and even though you go through life and life inevitably brings a lot of changes into people, like people change over time. But to have someone who is still there, who remains, right? Because this is the big theme with Woody is like, and this is Bo Peep's critique. It, it's that, you know, well, you notice, Woody, you're not getting picked anymore for playtime, right? Like, uh, like you're, you're, you're kind of passe as a toy. And there's this yeah. whole collection of toys in the antique shop that nobody cares about anymore. So, so this, in other words, 
Oh, wouldn't it be great, though, to have a love that was faithful and consistent even through all the changes? Yeah, and therefore a love that we could really rely on. Yeah. It's interesting with Gabby Gabby because she's convinced if she gets her voice box fixed, that's what will get her love. It's if more attractive, basically. Yeah, exactly. If I'm able to fix this thing that I see as a default or like a a defect in myself, then that will automatically get me that love. Now Harmony's going to love me because I got the voice box. Totally. And the thing is that I feel like we do that a lot in our culture. People think if I change things about myself, Mm -hmm. then I will get that love and acceptance from a community or from a person. Mm. And we put our weight in that person loving me and I'm willing to change or I'm willing to, in this case, Gabby Gabby's willing to take from Woody or try to, per, she's trying to take someone else's. Which is quite selfish and unkind. Yeah. Right? She's, well, she's literally taking him hostage. It's like organ harvesting. Right? Yeah, it's pretty dark. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, it's it, like, It's funny how horror connected a lot of her arc. Like, she's yeah. like, it's like a horror movie. Even the way she looks the... is a bit like, I don't know, she's yeah. kind of freaky looking. <laughs> totally. So, yeah. She is she is willing to do whatever it takes to find that love, even if it means hurting other toys. Mm-hmm. And but then when she does that thing, it doesn't work. Yeah. And I think so often, yeah, we're convinced of we can find that sort of love if I only change like this about me, or if I can become more attractive, like you were saying. And then we find, you know what? People are fickle, and then their love yeah. isn't always as consistent and. And true, even if we feel like we're more attractive to them or whatever. So, well, and, yeah. and the desire itself, in other words, the desire to change myself to become more attractive is causing me to make decisions like I'm going to steal Woody's voice box, which is the very thing that we're probably not going to like that we actually did. It's actually going to make us somewhat unattractive. So, it's like this, it is kind of mm-hmm. this trap of like, the very things we do to try and make ourselves seem more pleasing to the people who we want to please are the very things that end up making us feel pretty unattractive about ourselves and potentially other people as well. Yeah. So it's like self-sabotaging in a way. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's yeah. interesting. And obviously there's clear theological implications in what you said. And maybe this is more on the human level. But at the end, when she does find a connection and mm-hmm. is loved, it's not because she asked the question, yeah. how can I be more lovable? Yes, it's because she asked the question, how could I show love to someone That's who's hurt? That's it. It's a, to- it's, a, it's a self-giving. Yeah. Right. It's an altruistically motivated. And the, and the self-fulfillment is almost secondary mm-hmm. to the, oh, I want this kid to feel safe. And lo and behold, the kid feels safe. And notice how much joy then that brings Gabby in the end. Yeah. But only by not, that's a byproduct of pursuing that love and altruism, not, yeah, it yeah. comes as a byproduct as opposed to like making this desire for fulfillment the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's, it's instead of asking, how can I be more lovable? It's how can I show love? How can I care for this crying girl? So the, the scene is this girl is crying. And then Gabby Gabby decides, oh, this girl is struggling and feels lonely. Mm-hmm. Let me show love to her. 
And I did think of the term wounded healer because Gabby Gabby, loneliness is her problem. She gets it. She is lonely Mm -hmm. and lost. And so when she sees someone else who's experiencing loneliness, she wants to help that person. And that's way, way better way to form that connection than, oh, how can I change myself to be attractive for this other? That's good. That's a really good observation. I, uh, there's a, a, a writer, an author that I like, uh, David Zoll, who, who makes the point that actually some of the best communities, best meaning the communities where you feel most like you belong, there's the most freedom, uh, kind of security, joy, connection, is the communities that were formed around a shared failure rather than a shared success. Because like, if you got into the community because you crushed it at something, like you had the academic marks in order to get into this academic club, or you excelled in this particular sport in order to well, then, in other words, that's a community formed around our successes. And then we got to kind of be a bit competitive about that or guarded about that. And what if you're less, you know, what if you what if you diminish in one of those things that got you in as opposed to a community like AA, let's say? Well, how did we get into that? Well, we're addicts. We were powerless before our addiction. And lo and behold, those kind of communities are communities where people really feel like they belong. And in that sense, I feel like to- Toy Story, that's a kind of a mega theme that all, because it's quite a diverse group, literally a diverse group of toys. Yeah, they're all you different. Know? Yeah. And, and none of them, they're all a little bit awkward <laughs> to some degree, right? <laughs> Even the quote cool ones are yeah. kind of awkward. So it, it's like a community that forms around, yeah, like, uh, well, we all kind of fell into this and we all realized that we kind of really do need each other. As opposed to, we were the best toys on the planet, and that's how we got selected for this community. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's most of them get selected because they're commonly discarded or commonly, you know, passe yeah. or whatever the thing is, yeah. or a weird toy, you know, yeah. like Forky. I mean, how weird is that dude? But he totally fits right into the group, right? Because uh-huh. they're all kind of weird. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think I've noticed that at Gordon too that. People make connections through pain and struggle. I did. I led a group. There's a group on campus thinking about how can we do spiritual formation for this new generation on campus. And so I met with a group of students and was asking where where are experiences where your faith has been encouraged in different areas. And for the faith as trusting category, where it's about building your trust in God, most of them mentioned the emotional support and physical presence of their friends when they were struggling. So they weren't talking about any sort of programming that the college has put on, but it was my friend being there as I cried or my friend Mm. being there as I prayed or praying for me. Um, Which I think goes to show what you were saying is that connection through weakness. Um, Yeah. It's really hard to be there for someone if you're kind of obsessed on how am I coming across? How am I doing? Am I performing well? And, you know, you can, it's hard because you're really, your your whole mind and your mental space is all taken up with my, yourself as opposed to like that self-forgetfulness that allows you to actually be present with someone else. And that shared weakness, in a sense, allows you, therefore, to be self-forgetful. Yeah. Well, that brings me to my kind of cultural message because I think 
the movie does talk the movie does present this altruistic love of the other, but it also presents a narrative of self-fulfillment where at the end of the film, Woody decides, I'm not going to stay with Bonnie. I'm going to leave to be with Bo Peep because I love her. First of all, I do. I just think that on a writing perspective, they didn't do enough for me to be rooting for that for Bo Peep and Woody. Like, I don't feel like Bo Peep is developed enough of a character for me to be excited for that at the end. But even if, even if I they had written more of an arc where that's like this exciting moment, the question is: Is the movie trying to say that the most noble thing is to care for a kid? Or is the most noble thing to choose, listen to your inner voice or choose what your heart wants? And I think the movie's trying to have its cake and eat it too on a cultural level of saying, oh, you can do both. And obviously finding love is a good thing. And I'm not saying that love is a bad thing, but the question is, does is this movie saying that self-fulfillment is the end that we need to be striving for? And I think with, at the end of the movie, you have Buzz saying, oh, Bonnie will be okay to Woody. Mm-hmm. This is the same toy that in Toy Story 2 said to Woody, I was taught a lesson that the most important thing a toy can do is to be there for their kid. And you're the toy that taught me that. And then in Toy Story 3, Andy says to Bonnie, Woody's the most loyal toy you'll ever have, and he's never going to leave you. And then in Toy Story 4, he does. And so, we, yeah, i just like to talk about is that, that tension between self-fulfillment and loyalty. The film is intentionally putting it there, but I don't think the answer it gives is clear. Uh, and it, if it is clear, I think it's kind of dangerous. But anyway. Yeah, well, yeah. it's almost like it seems to pit self-fulfillment and loyalty against each other to where you have to choose, am I going to be loyal or am I going to be self-fulfilled as opposed to, wow, I wonder if I could find deep fulfillment in a sustained, committed loyalty over the long haul, because yeah. that could bring fulfillment as well. You've got to decide, are you going to be, quote, true to yourself, Woody, or are you going to go down this loyalty path? But it seems like kind of what you're saying is actually... When Woody was going down the loyalty path, that was him being true to himself. That seems to be consummate Woody to me, the guy who's always there. That's Woody yeah. being true to himself. But yeah, I don't know. Somehow that wasn't enough or that wasn't mature. Or that that was the very thing making him lost, ironically. Yeah. So And yeah. the thing that seems to the movie seems to be saying it is, oh well, Bonnie doesn't really care about Woody that much. Andy loved Woody, so it would have been very selfish for Woody to leave this situation where he was the favorite toy and he was beloved. But Bonnie doesn't care that much about Woody, so she's not even going to really care that he's lost, which is kind of sad on the one hand. But then it's saying, so because of that, he doesn't need to commit, like that commitment, he can let it go and it's it's okay. Mm. And I guess I understand that somewhat, yeah, she probably won't realize and kids lose toys and so there's this kind of sure it's a valid excuse but is it the most faithful action and is it like you were saying is it even true to who woody woody self because the movie tries to show woody's loyalty is a good thing like bo peep says oh i love that about him that he's loyal 
And yet, at the end of the day, he decides, I'm going to choose to be with Bo rather than with Bonnie. Well, I mean, again, I, I think that uh, on the one hand, I can sympathize, I have to say, with the toys. Um, these kids, they change their ideas all the time. They change which toys they like. They change what they're interested in. They grow up. They leave you. And in that sense, yeah, it'd be really unwise for you to hitch your wagon. Maybe that's a woody phrase. Yeah. <laughs> to, a, to a fulfillment like that. To and a very that, capricious and fickle yeah, Lover. that's kind of yeah, like the yeah. Greco-Roman gods in a way. Yeah. You have no idea which god is going to turn up, which version of Zeus is going to come, the Flanderer, the, the mighty Zeus. The, yeah, yeah. You know, so in a similar sense, we need to free ourselves from these, quote, masters that are constantly changing their ideas about themselves and life and us because we'll never be free as long as we have to serve them, so to speak. But in other words, and therefore, we shall serve ourselves. In other words, that inner voice, like that's a safe thing. I mean, yeah. because in other words, we are the people who change and are fickle and, you know, mm -hmm. have all kinds of different desires. So I don't mm -hmm. know that, that our inner voice, in other words, is going to be any more consistent than Bonnie. Well, and I do think maybe one of the, to give the film more credit, I do think the thing it's trying to get at is that Woody found his identity in his usefulness. Like he says, this is the one, he's like, I need to go get back Forky because this is what I can do for Bonnie. Like yeah. he was finding his identity and what, how can I be useful? And when she wasn't playing with him anymore, he still needed to be central to her story. He, he needed to be the center of Bonnie's life because he was used to being the center of Andy's life. So I do think in a sense, there is this letting go of, of yeah. self on one level because he has so been so used to being the provider for the kid or, or the like central favorite toy. And so he's letting go of that, but in the process, he's also choosing self. So yeah, it's just an ambiguous message. And I think the movie tries to have its cake and eat it too, by saying, Oh, the most noble thing a toy can do is be with a kid when they're struggling and then also leave the kid. Yeah. And I know we're going to yeah. get into some of the, the theology, but just on this thing of what it, yeah. So, so it seems that, Part of the message of the film is Woody has attachment issues. He's overattached, right? Woody needs to set some better boundaries. Mm -hmm. Woody needs to be needed. And that that's, you know, setting you up for codependent relationships and all of that. Okay. But but the whole point of boundaries is actually not to prevent relationships, but to protect them. So the boundaries aren't there to keep people away. The boundaries are there to have mutual respect so that the relationship is still possible. Because you can't be in a relationship with, with someone who's kind of wronging you all the time, let's say, or you can't trust, or their behavior is totally inconsistent, or they're constantly ditching you. So you have to have boundaries, but boundaries so that you can have relationship, not boundaries so that you can be this independent agent mm -hmm. who needs no one, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So that's yeah. kind of my thought on that. Yeah. Let's get into that theological piece, although... We've already been. Yeah, we're this, already everything there. we're saying is yeah. theological. Actually, I was asking That's you right. like, oh, is this is this a point for the cultural or theological? And he said yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but yeah, right. one thing that I see in this film that is also present in the first film to a certain extent is an a, a scarcity mindset where these toys mm -hmm. feel like there is a very limited amount of love to go around. Yeah, and I want it to go to me. Yeah. And so at the carnival, they're trash talking Buzz because they're like, no, you're not going to be the number one prize. We're going to yeah. have a kid. Like, yeah. we're, And Bunny literally says, like, 
you think you're going to be showered by unconditional love, my kid? Like, before we are? Like, yeah. so it's getting at yeah. this, like, no, like, love is limited resource. And Gabby Gabby's willing to take from Woody to get it. Yeah. Uh, Ducky and Bunny see Buzz as a threat. Duke Kaboom cannot get over someone, a kid that he had probably like 20 years before, given the like animation of it. Like, yeah, I missed my one shot at love and there's no love yeah. available anymore. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. To be fair, though, as you said, in this world, it's true. <laughs> these kids, there is a limited amount of love. These these kids don't, they they are pretty fickle, like, mm-hmm. and they, and that that has been acknowledged in the Toy Story franchise before. Like in Toy Story two, Jesse gets left behind and it breaks her heart. And Toy Story three, the the villain Lotso was left behind and it breaks his heart. So they've done that before, but in the fourth one, it feels like there's just this kind of desperation that makes it most of the characters pretty sad Mm. and i the theological takeaway i have is that it can remind us how freeing it is to Mm. believe in the love of god and believe that his love is not scarce and i think of the concept of that perfect love drives out fear and for all these toys and they have different insecurities and and fears and pain in their life and you can see how they're craving a love that could fix that but the way they're trying to get that and the toy the kids themselves aren't able to provide that perfect love Mm -hmm. in a sense Mm. as christians so often we still live with that scarcity mindset and we are willing to push people aside Mm. to get that feeling of love or satisfaction we think that we need uh, missing the fact that in Christ, that an abundance of love is already ours. You know, this is something that uh, C.S. Lewis writes about in The Four Loves of, hey, when we're in heaven, are we all going to be like jockeying for time with Jesus? Like, you know, yeah, you, he'd love to see you. There's a queue that's going to take a million years to get to the front of, you know, like, and we're all like, man, I'm way back here and I wish I could be, you know, porters way up to the front. <laughs> And, and what he says is that just like in relationships, how multiple people bring out different aspects of the friend that you care about. There, there's a certain side to your friend that only other friends are able to surface, like like let's say their humor or their compassion. There's just some other friends that draw draw them out. And then basically Lewis says, look, we don't need to be in competition with others for the love of Jesus, actually, it's going to be others that help us see him better, uh, to better understand his love, to to better understand his kindness, to better understand his wisdom. And I think he says, uh, the more of the heavenly bread that we share, the more bread we'll ultimately have. Mm. Um, and I think that's, yeah, there's a, it, it, that kind of militates against that kind of, scarce scarcity competitive side a little bit so i remember growing up i used to be confused about communion because sometimes it sounded like this is about the church and being united as a body of christ and then other times it was framed as like oh this is a time for you to reflect on your sin and think about what christ did for you and Mm. and i remember being confused like is this about communion with christ through his sacrifice or about communion with the church and the answer is yes it's 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 the love of christ 
for the church. And so the communion we have is with mm. God and with each other. And the more of Jesus that we share with others, the more of Jesus that we're going to see because those others are going to bring it out. And especially if we share it with a really diverse community, age-wise, socioeconomic, ethnic-wise, and all of that. Yeah. Um, or even across the ages, as it were, you know, reading how different people from different times in the past have kind of gotten to know Jesus. So, yeah, I think that that's the that's the irony. There, there's so much to God that there's not just enough of Him to go around, but the more He goes around, the more of Him we get. And so, for the toys, we acknowledge they don't live in that, like in their kind of realm. I don't know if there is an analogy for that type of that perfect love because Andy moved off to college. So Andy was loyal, but he moved on. He grew out of them. Uh, so his love kind of grew out of the toys. And then mm-hmm. now Bonnie doesn't care about what he, so yeah, I think in this world, maybe they are operating with a scarcity mindset that is, but I don't know if there's any way that they could get out of it. Um, yeah. So like, this is so, a little bit of my kind of, theological take related to that is that on the one hand the message of the film is very much you have to follow your inner desire your inner voice and you know what you got to do what's right for you so in a sense though buddy or though woody never says it it would have been like you know bonnie i used to belong to you but you know we fell out of love and at the end of the day i got to do what's right for me and my inner voice is saying bo peep (laughs) So there's this desire to sort of do what's right for us, and that therefore leads us away from commitment making. Because when you get committed, you're tied down. You got to do it whether your inner voice is saying it or not, right? You're in. You've made a covenant and a promise. So we fear commitment. And yet, the film is all about a love that lasts, a love that's consistent, a love that stays. Um, a love that's faithful. In other words, a love that's committed. So we fear making commitments in order to protect kind of our autonomy. And yet it's it's the committed love that that gives us that sense of love that we all really desire. So Yeah, and to what you were getting at earlier about they call Woody lost. Is he really lost? Like at some points they were making it seem like Woody's mindset was so like old fashioned or, or foolish that he was still was trying to help Forky and was still trying to help Bonnie. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, is he really lost? Or, I mean, he certainly has some selfish motivation mixed in with it, but he is wanting to be committed. And yet that's being framed by the film as maybe not great. To me, lost is... Another way of saying you don't know who you are, right? And not knowing who you are is when we so there's a there's a theologian, Lewis Smeads, who is writing actually in the context of marriage, but he's saying, you know, we have this universal hunger to say, This is who I am. And some of us we look to our achievements to tell us who we are. But our our achievements kind of leave an aspect of our character unrevealed. You can be really successful and like your character is not any good. And then some of us look to our dreams to tell us who we are, but our dreams only kind of say who we'd like to be and not who we actually are. And he kind of goes through this list of things that we 
we uh, we look for. And, and actually, his encouragement, and again, it's a context of marriage, but he's saying, actually, we come to know who we are largely by making and keeping promises. Because when you make a promise to someone, you say, no matter what changes in me, no matter what changes in you, in this unpredictable future we're forging out into, come what may, I am, identity, I am the man or the woman who's going to be there for you. And he says, in doing that, you've just created this island of certainty and this sea of unpredictability because you've effectively reached into the future, which you don't can't predict. But what you can say is, come what may, I am the one who's going to be there for you. Hmm. And for me, that's the theological connection because God's name is I am. And I think that's God's way of saying, who am I? I'm the one who's going to be there. So when you're enslaved in Egypt, I am. I am the one who's going to deliver you. When you get to the Red Sea and it looks like there's no way to get through, I am the one who's going to make uh, the way through. When you complain and grumble in the wilderness, I am the one who's going to give you water from the rock. When you worship other idols and break the covenant, I am the one who's going to forgive you. And, and it's this, in other words, if God's identity, again, his name Yahweh is translated I am. If, if who God is, is the God who is there come what may, then that's got to speak into our own finding of identity. So I would say we become most ourselves by making and keeping promises to people because that is so deeply reflective of who God is. Now, you got to be super wise in who you enter in these covenantal relationships with, and that's kind of the, that's what the film is surfacing. You, you know, you enter into covenants with these kiddos, and they change their ideas about you all the time, and they walk out on you, and then you're just kind of kicked to the curb, so to speak. But, you know, to make promises is to be vulnerable, and you're never going to get any belonging without that. And it is just good to know that, uh, in a sense, God enters into a covenant with a people who are going to constantly change their mind and opinions. But what is it that's going to, through all these epochs and stages, it's going to make God consistent? It's going to be, he's the one who keeps turning up. He's the one who's faithful. He's the one who's loving. And, he and he's the one who will bear the weight of the chaos that our fickleness yeah. brings. Yeah. The ultimate um, expression of it. God's name on your foot yeah. is not going to be removed. So yeah. in this movie, it shows Woody's foot with Bonnie on it. And to me, that was almost painful to see. And I get it. Like he's, he's Bonnie's toy now. But part of my love of the first movie is because it shows that you are defined by the name written on your foot. And mm-hmm. so- you're defined by the one you belong to, and that's a beautiful thing. And belonging to someone else is actually not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But in this world, yeah, you can belong to multiple people. And you can, and in God's economy, that, that faithfulness of God, it's not this, he's not going to take his name, give you away to someone else. And right. in fact, he mm-hmm. paid the ultimate cost to, to make you his and to right. put that name on your foot. And so, we can, that's the perfect love we're talking about. That it ca- The perfect love is the one that will be there no matter what. And no matter how we betray the covenant, um, his faithfulness remains. So. 
Yeah, and it seems like it, you know, though the though the film didn't do this, but it seemed like kind of where it was headed was at the end of the day, the name that Woody needs on the foot is Woody or me. I belong to myself. But I just I think it's a stretch to say that that worldview that I belong only to myself is going to be a worldview that engenders a sense of community and belonging and love or anything, right? Yeah. You know, a sense in the, yeah. So, uh, cause who's to say he's with Bo Peep for several years and then meets another toy? That's right. That he that's got to do what's right for me. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that there's a definite, conflict um i mean another uh, theological point for me that i thought was interesting that i had mentioned to you was um forky i think it's really yeah, profound this this little guy um so it, there's a point at which obviously so forky's proclivity is he keeps jumping in the trash <laughs> which in a way we should all be able to relate to because on the one is like well who the heck would want to jump in a pile of trash and it's like yep that's kind of what we do. But why does he keep junking, jumping in the trash? Because in a sense, he is trash or he was made from trash. And, and oh boy, I tell you, there's so many people that kind of carry around that sense. In other words, I keep jumping in the trash because this is all I'm ever going to be. And though, you know, I wish I wasn't trash. It'd be nice to jump into something else. Well, at least trash is known. At least trash is not going to, in a sense, reject me. And in a sense, it can feel like a safe place. And yet everybody's trying to say to Forky, no, you're something so much more than that. And it made me think of this. Uh, there's this couple that does artwork, really profound. Basically, they take trash and they will put, so you would walk into a gallery, let's say, that where their, their art is on display. And in a room, you would walk in and it looks like a pile of trash, Coke cans, bottles, cigarette pack, little plasticky stuff for a six pack, you know, cereal box, mm-hmm. you know, all this kind of gnarly stuff, big old pile. And you're like, uh, so it's a bunch of trash. And then they flick on a light and the light shines through the trash and projects this amazing image on the wall of like a beautiful sun or a beautiful city or of two people lying next to each other or this person reading a book. So what appears to be trash at one level through seen through a different light, it's this kind of beautiful image. And I kind of feel like that, like Forky is like a little bit like that. There's actually something beautiful there. If we could just see it from a different light. And it made me think a lot about the Beatitudes actually of this list that Jesus gives of people that on the one hand sounds like trash, you know, the poor, the persecuted, the meek. And yet he keeps saying, no, you're seeing it from the wrong light. And he's saying, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They will see the face of God. They are the ones who are blessed. And I thought, yeah, that's such a cool take on, you know, what if there's a God who can actually even take trash and make it into a work of art? And, uh, yeah. And who doesn't see who made us? Bonnie doesn't see his, him as trash because she made him. That's there's right. There's an inherent connection. That's his in trash, as it were, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's his, These are his people that, that he still has a vision for. Yeah, so good.
Well, one last thing to circle back to is that idea of the existence of Forky or this knife girl or these toys in general. It's a question of why am I or how am I alive? And it is mm-hmm. humorous because it's a real question that most people have asked throughout, you know, civilization is how are we here and what does existence mean? And but it's just funny putting in the, the words of this knife. But um <laughs> Yeah. The the movie doesn't give us an answer, but it, what it seems to suggest is that perhaps it's Bonnie's love for the the Bonnie's calling this a toy makes it a toy. Somehow mm. the trash it's no longer trash because Bonnie has called it so. Um and I feel like that yeah, it's an interesting kind of weird existential ending to this franchise. Although I've heard there's gonna be a Toy Story five, which I'm not thrilled about. No but kidding. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But uh but yeah, what are your thoughts on kind of that last question? You said that was an interesting thing to circle back to. But yeah, you know, I appreciated it in a sense. Uh I think in the world depicted by the Toy Story uh screenwriters, maybe that that's the best you're gonna come up with, which is how am I alive? And and Forky says, I don't know. It's a mystery. And there's a lot of epistemic humility in, in the sense of just saying, yeah, let's not try to weigh in as experts into an area that's really confusing. And I can appreciate that. And I think in the world as construed in the story, that's as best as you get. But I, but I guess kind of borrowing a phrase from a mentor from the past, um, if we find a desire in this world that nothing on earth can satisfy, maybe we were made for another world. And so I would say that that question, why am I alive or how am I alive? It's meant to invite further exploration rather than stopping the conversation with a shrug and I guess just you do you. That just seems to be a cop-out to me, you know. I think instead take that question as an invitation to yeah, I don't know. Maybe I should, you know, is there a, quote, kid out there who could know me to the bottom and love me to the stars? I mean, I think that's what Gabby's desire is ultimately for, to to be truly seen, to be understood, to be known in all her flaws, et cetera, and yet still to be loved. And I think that universal human longing is is not just to make us shrug our sol- shoulders and say, I don't know, that's probably why at the end of the day you you do you. It's more like, no, may- maybe is that kind of love possible? Why would we have a love like that just so deep in our heart were, it, were there not some love like that available in life? Mm-hmm. So... Well, that's great. Uh, now we can transition to talking about which character <laughs> the other person is. So uh, you want to go first or you yeah, want me I'm to go happy first? to go first, man. Okay. You know, um, this is going to sound a bit, uh, I don't know. Uh, I thought you're a lot like Woody. And, and uh, you know, I, I know here we are uh, broadcasting for the world here. So not to be too personal, but I've just known you over the years to be a friend who is faithful who keeps pursuing, who keeps turning up, who keeps loving. 
even at sacrifice. And I think you probably would give up your voice box for some of your friends in order to make them happy. And I've seen versions of that in your life, of that kind of loyal love. Um, so, yeah, Woody. This is the fourth time. Every single movie uh, in the Toy Story franchise, my fr- the friend has called me Woody. They so really I have? own that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got to own it then. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, and he a- is when people, well, that is my favorite fictional character and I do resonate. Well, there you go. I love yeah. that. I'm glad this is joined the team. Also gonna, this is going to be a new thing now because this is the first time I'm saying the same character for you. <laughs> so the, I That's also awesome. see you as Woody. And this is another element of the That's film, funny. that a positive reading of the film that we didn't even get at. But in the end credit scene, mm. it seems like these toys that are lost toys actually do still have a mission and purpose. And that's to help these other toys at the carnival find love. And they so they are helping these other toys get connected with a kid that. That's right. Them. Yeah, I love that. And so that is. Yeah, I've I've gone back and forth about you could read that as a really positive message of oh we've i've i've had time i've been loved by a kid now i'm gonna pay it forward and help these other people Uh but it's in the credits so it's hard to think that that's the main message anyway but for you you're someone who i feel like yeah is a gifted communicator is pastor of a church but is really good at being able to kind of step out of the spotlight and give opportunities to others in the church to Mm. communicate or uh you're someone who i thought oh bobby could definitely have written like books and like you know be (laughs) be like uh you know like using (laughs) using these gifts in a more self-promotional sense which we see plenty of christian pastors doing yeah and um and not that writing books is inherently self-promotional i think it could be i think it's a great thing with those who write books but um yeah, but then you're able to, I think, be someone who could be like, oh, the favorite toy. Here's the pastor. He's the... And you're able to deflect and be a humble leader who empowers others in the church to step up. And uh, you are not trying to draw all that attention to yourself. And I think that's kind of what Woody is learning in the film is hmm. it's not all about me. Yeah, he He's loses his badge, to learn. the sheriff's badge. Yeah, yeah. So, well, if that's true of me, man, then that's progress, you know, because I was the opposite of that. My whole mission in life through most of my childhood was to get attention, and I would, I would do anything for it. And it brought a lot of hurt and pain into my life and probably many of my teachers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that, that's, yeah, if that is the case, and I really have to give the credit to that, I guess, just the uh, self-forgetfulness that is one of the blessed gifts of knowing Jesus, of being able to uh, pay attention finally to the people around you, um, knowing that kind of yourself is at peace. So that's really funny. I, my my wife might big to differ, differ <laughs> with you on that. But, well, yeah, and I also, I also feel like I have a tendency, if there's a Christian leader I admire, to almost pedestal them. Okay. And I haven't, I felt able to not do that with you. And maybe that's yeah. because we're friends too. And so it's oh, hard. I'm to... just such a loser. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think there's something about yeah. like the way you lead is that there's, and I think the way our church is built. I also yeah. think our church has a healthy love for you as a pastor without wanting you Pedestaling. to be 
our yeah. our savior because we know that our savior is christ and so yeah um i think also part of it is just a good church body that cares about you and loves you but also isn't wanting to i mean and there's i'm sure there are people who, who have done yeah. that over the years but um anyway yeah so. no i know early on in my ministry uh, uh there's a a gentleman who said to me, look, you know, there's, there are going to be some people that want you to be the holy man. And uh, they, they want you to be the holy man because then you can kind of vicariously live the life that they kind of want to live for God, but can't or or don't really want in a sense. But they can kind of do it through you, be close to you. Right. right. And so and he said and it was like, hey, if you pursue that, you're going to be desperately lonely because you're not the holy man frankly. And so the only way you can kind of shore up that image is to not let people come close. And, uh, you know, you know, one of God's severe mercies for us was just circumstances in our life and family that just meant from an early onset, we were not going to be the perfect pastor's family. And I thank God for that because um, it just allowed us to let that whole image of the holy man set sail so that uh, we could actually, you know, be an imperfect family who, who is trying to be as close to Jesus as possible that can then invite others into it. So, um, yeah, I'm glad to hear that, Porter. Thank you, Bobby. Really appreciate you. Love you. And so grateful that you joined me today. Yeah, love you too. Take care. All right. God bless. Thanks for listening, everybody. And there you have it. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Bobby. I hope you found it interesting. I've really been reflecting on Toy Story 4. And yeah, I just do find Woody to be out of character in the ending of this film. Doesn't feel like it resonates with the ending of Toy Story 3, where Woody is defined as the toy who will be loyal, who will stay with you no matter what. So yeah, it's a it's a challenge to say, hey, the final film in this franchise that I love doesn't really add up, but that is where I'm at with it. But that doesn't mean there's nothing valuable there, and it was fun unpacking the complexity of the film and the different messages present in it there with Bobby. So if you disagree and you feel like this is consistent with Woody's character, or if you agree and want to share that, I'd love to hear in comments what you all think about Toy Story 4 and how it concludes the franchise. Well, we thought it concluded the franchise. They do have a fifth one that they are making right now, which is kind of wild, but I digress. Now it's time to answer a question from a fan of the show. Miriam, my friend Caroline's cousin, is a big fan of the show, and she sent in a question that I'm going to answer here. Now remember, I am going to do a question and answer episode later on, but uh, here's a question that I kind of find relevant to the movie that we just watched and talked about. As someone who works with young adults, so she's asking me, knowing that I work at a college, she says, as someone who works with young adults, what have you found is the best way to strongly and effectively combat the new ideals that the world encourages, that the Bible doesn't, while still pointing them towards the gospel and not scaring them away? It's a good question. And if you think about it, it's, it's getting at something that Paul talked about in Romans 12, 
Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the question is, how do you help people pursue transformation through the renewal of their minds rather than pursuing a conforming to a worldly pattern? And this isn't just a question for young adults that I work with. This is a question for myself as a young adult. And it's a question for all of us is how are we pursuing a renewal of our minds? So first of all, I would say having a discipline of spending time in scripture and spending time in Christian community, both of those are essential in terms of mind renewal. So when it comes to scripture, it's very important that we are grounded in truth when there are lies all around us. So when you encounter uh, temptation that comes from the lies that your own flesh or the world provides as answers, you're able to turn to scripture that you have been spending time in, that you've been spending time with Jesus in his word, and you're able to draw upon the resources of God's word for your challenges and temptations. So I would say uh, it's really important to establish a discipline in scripture. But then I also think Christian community is a key part of helping people pursue Jesus. I know for myself, my friends have been an anchor for me in times where I've faced trials or doubts. And I think as someone who works with young adults, I really do see the impact that your friend group has on you. I see the influence that different students have on each other. And yeah, my advice to students going off to college is to find Christian friends who will pursue righteousness alongside you and who will encourage you to follow Jesus even when that's hard. So yeah, I think scripture and community, deeply important. And then when it comes to pointing people towards the gospel in the midst of all the different cultural messages that they're bombarded with, I think this podcast is seeking to do that in some way by showing that the the stories of our culture and the, the desires of our culture actually are rooted in God-given desire, but often the answers that our culture provides fall flat or are incomplete. And God is the only one who can truly fulfill those deep desires. So for example, if you think about our desire in our culture for success and financial success and achievement, there is a good desire there to be fruitful, to produce, to be uh, gener- have an, an abundance so then you can be generous with it. Uh, but then, of course, it becomes twisted and it becomes linked with injustice and mistreatment of the poor. It becomes linked with obsession and spending 60, 70 hours a week trying to climb the corporate ladder becomes connected with uh, disregard for self-care and disregard for rest. So this good thing, being able to achieve, to produce, to create things in the world can easily become an idol, something that empties you out and that promises fulfillment and satisfaction, but actually doesn't 
lead you to that at all. Or if you think about sexual pleasure and the idol that has, that has become in our culture, uh, that is actually also rooted in a God-given desire, a desire for intimacy and adventure and significance and connection. But then it becomes twisted and becomes, instead of a way of connecting with another person, it becomes very self-centered and about how you can, rather than about sharing love with another person. So I, I think God is in our desire. And so when talking with someone who is trying to navigate the complexity of their desire in our world, I think it's important to help them see where God is in those desires, how God can redeem and transform desires and fulfill them in a deeper way than anything that the world has to offer. And then most importantly, I would say persistent love is a key way when working with young adults to point them towards the gospel. So when they make mistakes, when they mess up, when they are in trouble, showing them a consistent, compassionate, faithful love, an unconditional love that says, no matter where on your path you are, no matter what missteps you have taken, I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to point you to the God who is present with you in the midst of your sin and failure. And I'm going to not leave. Even if you choose to leave behind uh, the church, I'm not going to leave you behind as a friend. I have several friends who have been really hurt by the church and have really doubted and questioned the Christian story. But I think being a persistent and loving friend to them is a way of showing that the gospel still can be plausible even to those who have been hurt by the church. If you are able to be a witness who shows the love of Christ, then you can encourage your friends and encourage those who are considering the world's answers as more attractive than God's. So yeah, those that's a long answer. Those are the three or four things that I would recommend is encouraging a deep connection in scripture, a deep connection to a community, showing how God can satisfy our deepest desires, and then just being a faithful, loving presence. So I hope that was a good answer, Miriam. Thank you for your question. And thank you all for listening to this episode on Toy Story 4. Remember to keep your eye out for the Q&A episode and submit questions to portdrez at gmail.com or on Instagram or Patreon. Thanks, everybody. Take care.